Amen. Amen. All right. As we get ready for the Word of God today. Come on. Guys, it's only been a week since we've seen each other. It's not like it's been months, but it's so good to see you. I know Barbie was upset. We didn't say it was nice to see you, Barbie. <laughs> see you, Barbie. <laughs> yeah, Danny told me. She's like, no one said hi to me. All right. So let's go to, <laughs> let's go to Mark chapter 10. <laughs> Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. We're going to talk about an interesting man here in the Bible. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. And the word of God says, Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48, it gets interesting. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, and notice, cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi or teacher, the blind man said, I want to see you. I want to see you. And Jesus said to him, go. For your faith has healed you. And instantly, the man could see. And he followed Jesus down the road. I want to highlight verse 49 as we go there. And I'll pray. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, and notice what the crowd said to him. Cheer up. Come on. He's calling. I love what they said. They had to really encourage him. They said, Bartimaeus, cheer up. Come on. Cheer up. Jesus is calling. When I read that, I wondered and I asked myself, how many people here at Forward need some cheering up this morning. How many need to cheer up a little? Yeah, I can tell by your faces. You don't know because you don't see it. But I have to deal with your face while I preach. And I cringe because some of you have lost your cheer. So help me preach this morning before we start. Turn to your neighbor, look at them, slap them, tell them to cheer up. Come on, cheer up. Cheer up. Come on, tell them. Help me preach. Turn to that other person that looks just as miserable and bitter as you and say, hey, cheer up. He's calling you. Come on, church. Can we cheer up this morning? Come on. I'll give you this word this morning if you cheer up. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Would you help them? Would you help our church? Cheer up. 
Lord, you are too good for us to be miserable. Lord, there's some miserable people here. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise before we even start. (laughs) As we get into this word, I've titled it Courage for the Discouraged. You guys can be seated. Courage for the discouraged. How many of you by just honesty, just honesty, let's just put the, the facade of being spiritual to the side. How many of you can say, Pastor, uh, I'm a little discouraged lately. Come on, show me your hands. Be honest. A little discouraged. Little, all of us are discouraged. When I read this passage, I thought about Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, we really relate to him. You say, well, Pastor, how do I relate to a blind man? I can see. I'm fine. No. Bartimaeus we have a lot in common with him. Let me explain why. The name Bartimaeus is not a first name like many people think. But see, the Bible is written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And actually, the word Bartimaeus is an Aramaic word. The word Bart in Aramaic literally means child or son. And Thamaeus literally means honor or value. And some scholars believe that Bartimaeus He probably came from a family of honor and position and wealth. And when his father took a look at him as a child, he named him Bartimaeus, declaring that he was a child of honor and worth and value. Already there, we relate to him because our Heavenly Father looks down at you And when you are a child of God through Jesus Christ, you are a child of honor. You are a child of value. You mean something. But see, Bartimaeus, even though he was declared a child of honor and worthy and value, his life was far from it. In fact, as a blind person or any person with an ailment in this culture, you are considered pretty much useless, insignificant, You were just at best outside in the road begging for money, but no one really looked at you. People talked bad about you. People rejected you. So imagine with me, you are declared a child of honor, yet your life does not reflect that. In fact, Bartimaeus, his life was all about struggle. It was difficult. He had a life of hardship, He was just on the side of the road. You see, the Bible says that he was on the side of the road in Jericho. And that road that the Bible talks about is a road often traveled by people going places. So just imagine with me now, you are Bartimaeus, the child of honor, but your life is far from it. You just struggle. Everything is hard. Everything is just always a problem. And you're at the side of the road. You're blind. You can't see. But all you can hear is the sound of people on the road going places. He can hear the people moving and laughter. He can hear the people busy and doing things. And Bartimaeus is just stuck on the side of the road. Has it ever felt like that in your life? Does it ever feel like you're just stuck in the same problem, stuck in the same situation, stuck in the same manner of life, 
And it seems like everyone else is moving. Everyone else is going by. Everyone else is doing things. Everyone else is busy. Everyone else is blessed. And everyone else has things going on. But you're just stuck. It could feel like that if you're stuck and you maybe go on social media and you see everyone traveling, getting married, getting promotions, having babies, living life, enjoying these beautiful Thanksgiving pictures and all these Christmas pictures that are about to come. You're going to be tempted to look at that and say, God, why does it feel like everyone else has the life I want and I'm just stuck? I'm just going to be honest and preach truth today. Can I get a witness? Have you ever felt that feeling of being stuck on the sidelines while everyone else is going. You feel like you're the only one going through what you're going through. And as a result of Bartimaeus, the son of honor, and his struggle, notice that the crowd told them, Bartimaeus, cheer up, come on. And it implies that Bartimaeus was discouraged. Discouragement is real. Discouragement is defined as that loss of enthusiasm and confidence for life. Discouragement can happen to the best of us. Discouragement is when you lose that feeling of hope that something good's going to come, something better's on the way, and you're kind of just there. That feeling of discouragement can come because maybe your prayers haven't been answered. That feeling of discouragement can come because you feel like life has just disappointed you. Your expectations have fallen and failed, and what you thought was going to happen hasn't happened for you yet. Discouragement can come because of problems that you have to endure, and you know that you can't endure it much longer. Discouragement is failed dreams. Discouragement is unanswered prayers. Discouragement is being stuck in the same mess with no change. Discouragement tells you give up. Stop trying. Stop believing. Don't even bother. Stop asking God for it. Discouragement, not only is it common, but we get really good at it. Let me explain. You can be so discouraged and still function in life. You know, discouragement is not people that are stuck in a dark corner of their house saying, leave me alone. Life is terrible. It's not about that. You can have functional discouragement, just like you can have functional depression. It means that, Pastor, I can get up in the morning, put on my work clothes, drive to work, and on the inside, I'm so discouraged. It means that I can come home, and I can be with my children, and help them with their homework, but on the inside, I'm just so discouraged. It means that I can come to church, I can sing the songs, I can give the hugs, and be discouraged. It means that I can go on the pulpit, preach the sermons, and preach discouraged. It means I can live life every day, and you look at me laughing, you look at me smiling, you look at me working hard, but little do you know that if you really look on the inside of me, I have lost my enthusiasm for life. 
I have lost my hope and I am no longer in this place where I believe better things are coming. If that's you, my friend, my church, my brothers, my sister, you are discouraged. How many discouraged people do I have? Reality is that life is hard. We get discouraged. Like Bartimaeus, we go through struggles. We go through pain. We go through hardship. In church, we go through seasons of discouragement. Why? Because we live in a sinful, fallen, hurting, broken world. And because we live in such a world that is hurting and broken and sinful and has fallen, it's going to be hard for you to avoid discouragement. It's going to be difficult for you to go on through life never going through a season of discouragement. You can just put on the news and fill yourself with discouragement. Economy's bad. Gas is going up. Inflation's going higher. Railroads are going to strike. Food supplies are going to go shorter. The war in Ukraine's getting worse. Just watch the news. And I just mentioned maybe 30 minutes of the news, you see. And you're quickly going to feel the discouragement of a fallen world. Hey, Christmas is coming. That can be discouraging for a lot of you. Why? Well, if you're a parent and you're a broke parent and your kids want the nicest, most expensive thing, guess what? You're going to be really discouraged. You're either going to be discouraged because you've got to have to work harder to get it or discouraged because you're going to have to tell them you ain't getting it. When Christmas comes, we get discouraged because we realize the people that aren't going to be there with us. The people we've lost. Some of you are so bad that you're discouraged because of Christmas because of the people you're going to have to be with. The people that you are going to have to spend Noche Buena with. Yes, and you're like, oh, this is so discouraged. I want it to all end. And it doesn't end. It only gets worse because then New Year's comes. You know what New Year's is? A reminder of how to, what a failure this year has been. You're going to be all excited. New Year, new me. No, you said that last year. And you're going to realize nothing's changed. I'm just as pathetic as last year. Why is this year going to be different? It's discouraging. Hi, Pastor, that's so discouraging. Yes, it is. You're going to be reminded of your failures, your weakness. You're going to have seasons of discouragement in your marriage. Some people are discouraged because they're single and they're not married. Discouragement happens. You're going to be discouraged because you're on the diet, step on the scale, nothing's changed. You're like my mom. She said, I've been dying all week. I've done it right and I've gained the pounds. That's discouraging. But here's the truth. You don't have to look far in your personal life to feel discouraged. Amen? Don't, don't, I, I need a real amen on that one. You have to stop pretending like your life is fine. It's not. 
That's why God has you here listening to this word. Because here, I do want to give you some encouraging news about discouragement. You're not alone. You're not alone when you're discouraged. And many Christians, believers, get discouraged. We, we have to stop pushing this lie from the pulpit that if you're a believer that's discouraged, something's wrong with your faith. No. If you're a believer that's discouraged, it just reminds you that you're human. And some of the greatest people in the Bible went through seasons of discouragement. And one of my favorites is actually King David. David, the warrior. David, the worshiper. David, the lion and the bear killer. The giant slayer. The leader of the greatest mighty army that the Bible has ever talked about. That David, the man after God's own heart. That David said this in Psalm 43, 5. He said, why am I discouraged? David is honest and he's having an honest conversation with himself, and he's asking this profound question. Why am I so discouraged? Could it be that David is discouraged because his own family and father rejected him? We don't know. Could it be because all of these people are lying and trying to rob David of his destiny? We don't know. Could it be because he had trouble at home with his own children? We don't know. Could it be because he had problems with his wife? We don't know. But David just tells us, honestly, I'm discouraged. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior, my God. See, David had to wake himself up, and he asked himself, why am I discouraged? Why have I allowed discouragement to settle? And notice one thing David stopped doing. He stopped praising. Because he says right there, I will praise him how? Again. You know that you are discouraged when you've lost your praise to God. When you come to church and you have lost that joy of the Lord, the joy of your salvation, the praise that God deserves, when you've lost your praise, you know you have given in to discouragement. And even David said, I'm discouraged. And when you're discouraged, you tend to talk to yourself like David did. The first most important relationship you'll ever have is with Jesus. The second most important relationship you'll ever have is with yourself. And if all you do is when you talk to yourself, you tell yourself, you are worthless, you're good for nothing, it's never going to change, you don't deserve anything, God is mad at you, God is angry, you should feel ashamed, you should feel guilty, your life is never going to be the same, you'll never change, you'll never get out of this. It's no wonder so many people are discouraged because discouragement speaks within ourselves. That's why David got alone with himself and said, why am I so discouraged? 
It's so important what you tell yourself when you're going through seasons of discouragement. And not only is it important what you tell yourself during seasons of discouragement, but be careful that in your season of discouragement, you don't become a discouraged where you want to bring others down with you in your discouragement. You ever met someone like that? You tell them something, good news is ah, too good to be true. I don't know about that. And you bring others down. They tell you, oh, it's going to be good. I don't know, it wasn't good last year. I don't know, it just seems like it's not going to happen. But you have to be mindful of what you tell yourself. That's why David said this in Psalm 27, 13 and 14. When David was going through a struggle and a hardship in his life, David said, yet, I am confident. That word confident in the Hebrew letter literally means encouraged. He said, I am encouraged. I'm confident. I am confidently encouraged that I will see the Lord's goodness, while I am here in the land of the living. David said this, I am confident that I'm going to see the goodness of God. I am confident, I am encouraging myself that even though I may not see the goodness of God right now, I am confident that I will see the goodness of God. That is how you have to talk to yourself. You have to remind yourself of who God is. And David did not say, it's over, it's hopeless, I'm never going to get out of this. David acknowledged, I don't see God's goodness right now. We need to acknowledge that truth in our own life. Sometimes God does not seem to be good to us. God does not seem to be good when we're sick, when we've lost a job, when we've lost a child, when our dreams haven't come true, when our prayers haven't been answered, when our enemies have prevailed and we get hurt and we get rejected, it doesn't seem like God is good. And David said that with honesty. I will see the goodness, meaning right now, Lord, I don't. I don't see the goodness in this situation I'm in. But David said, I will see it. He's speaking in the future tense, and he's saying, I will see the goodness of God. Do you know how to survive the discouragement in your season? You have to declare not only that God is good, but God will declare his goodness over my life, even though I don't see it right now. I will see the goodness of God. And I love that David says, in the land of the living, talking about here on earth. You know why I love that David says this? Because when we are going through discouragement as Christians, we tend to be overly spiritual. And we say things like this. Oh, I know it's going to be good. And I know we're going to have victory when we're with Him in heaven. Oh, I know I'm going to be healed when I'm with him in heaven. Oh, I know that when I'm in heaven, my pain's going to be gone. I'm going to see the goodness of God when I'm in heaven. But David said, no, 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 no. I'm not waiting to die and go to heaven to see God's goodness. 
I'm declaring the goodness of God here on earth. I'm not going to live my life miserable. I'm not going to live my life depressed and discouragement. I'm not going to wait to die to say God is good. I'm going to declare that God is good right now here on earth in spite of what I'm going through. That's why, can I preach? Thank you. Jesus said when you pray, pray on earth as it is where? In heaven. You need to live like it's heaven on earth right now. What are you going to be doing in heaven? You think you're going to be mopey and depressed? No. In heaven, you're going to have joy. You're going to have peace. You're going to have strength. And God says, I want you to live that way here on earth. I want you to live that way here on earth. But there are too many of us on earth discouraged. Waiting to die to be happy. Oh, I know. I can't wait to be with the Lord. You can be with the Lord right now. It's great that we're going to heaven. Amen? At least some of you are. But I don't know about you. But I don't, ha- don't want to wait to die to see the goodness of God. What if that goodness of God is attainable to you right now here on earth, but you're choosing not to obtain it? Let me keep going. Here's the challenge that God gives you. Look at verse 49 with me. The crowd, when Jesus heard him, he stopped. I said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man and noticed they said, cheer up. Now, why would they tell him to cheer up? They didn't know what Jesus was going to do. But here's the thing. They were only relaying a message. And I believe that Jesus was the one that was telling this man to cheer up. So Jesus turns to the crowd and said, Hey, would you tell Bartimaeus to cheer up and come to me? Wow. What a challenge. Because God tells him first, Cheer up. But let's think right now for a second, church. Did his blindness go away? Did his situation change? No. He was still old blind Bart. (laughs) That's what I call him. He was still the same blind guy. But Jesus tells him, cheer up. What does that mean? It's a challenge to be encouraged, to be cheerful and have joy in spite of your situation not changing yet, in spite of the fact that you still can't see, in spite of the fact that you're still stuck on the road, in spite of the fact that you're still blind. I want you to cheer up. Why? Because encouragement is not a result of your problems and issue going away. Because your problems and issues will never go away. 
You will always have problems. You will always have issues. And if we're waiting for our issues and problems to be completely gone, for us to be cheerful, we will never be cheerful. We will never be encouraged. So Jesus teaches us this principle that being encouraged is not a result of your life changing. Being encouraged is not a result of your prayers being answered. Your problems going away. Being encouraged is not the absence of any problems in your life. So why be encouraged? Because you are encouraged in who God is. You don't have to wait for your bills to be paid and your children to be behaved and for you to meet someone, for you to get a promotion to then say, oh, now I can cheer up. Ooh, now life is good. No, God said, you can be encouraged right now even though nothing has changed. And that's some of your problems this morning. You're waiting for the season of your life to end to hopefully be happy and encouraged. And not only is that wrong, that's impossible. Because right when you get out of a season of discouragement, another season comes. So you can be encouraged. Not because your situation has changed, but your faith and encouragement as a result of the character of God and who He is. Did you notice that Jesus was surrounded by crowds of people? By the thousands. But Jesus stopped and put His attention on Bartimaeus. When I read that, I said, Lord, Why did you stop? Do you want God to stop for you? Do you want God to put his attention on you? To fix your life? To heal your diseases? What did Bartimaeus do that got Jesus to stop and put his attention on Bartimaeus. Well, we all read the story and we say, oh, his faith healed him. It was his faith. It was his faith. And yes, I get it. His faith is what healed him. But his faith in what? You see, before we get excited that God's going to stop for you, God's going to change your life, God's going to heal your problems, God's going to fix your marriage, God's going to correct your children, God's going to take care of your future, God's going to fix your enemies, God's going to bless you, God's going to change your circumstances. Before we get all encouraged about that, you have to realize that Bartimaeus did three things to stop Jesus. And it's the three things we have to do if you want to stop living a life where you're stuck on the sidelines, if you want to see God move in your life, 
And if you want to live a life of encouragement, there are three principles that you have to abide by based on Bartimaeus alone. And it's these three principles that we fail to do that keep us in a season of discouragement. They're not easy to do. They're not easy to hear. But in Jesus' name, I'm going to teach it this morning. My question is, do you have it in you to do it? Or you can leave church smoking around. Sad, discouraged. You guys ready? Jesus stopped. And Bartimaeus heard the message that Jesus said. Jesus is calling you. And I'm wondering this morning, what if Jesus is calling you? What if Jesus is calling you out of a life of depression? A life of discouragement? What if Jesus is calling you into a life of freedom and peace and power? The first thing Bartimaeus did, look at verse 49. Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was a Nazareth nearby. He began to shout, Jesus. Son of David. See, that term son of David is a way of saying that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the Messiah. Bartimaeus was a believer. And he declared that to Jesus. He said, Son of David, Messiah, God, Jesus, have mercy on me. Look at verse 48. Be quiet. Many of the people yell. Just be quiet. Bartimaeus shouted loud. Number one, you want to get out of a season of discouragement. Acknowledge the Lord. Acknowledge Him. Bartimaeus could have just stayed quiet. He could have listened to the crowd. He's going to say, listen, just, just stop all that noise. You're not going to change. He's not going to hear you. He's not going to pay attention to you, Bart. Look at everyone. There are thousands of people. What are the odds, Bart, that Jesus is going to hear you with all of this crowd? And he could have listened. He could have accepted that voice of discouragement. But something in him said, keep calling and call even louder. And he said, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm not going to listen to the voices of discouragement. I'm going to acknowledge my Savior. And when he called out to him, Jesus said, wait, guys. Someone called me. One of my children is calling me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We know it. We love it. We don't live it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In every area of your life, 
Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge God in your home. Acknowledge Him in your marriage. Acknowledge Him raising children. Acknowledge Him in your finances. Acknowledge Him in your future. Acknowledge Him in your health. In every area of your life, acknowledge the Lord. What does it mean to acknowledge God? It's to recognize that God is the one who is at work in our lives. He is the one in power. He is the one in all sovereignty and wisdom and goodness and justice is all on Him. He is my strength. He is my wisdom. He is my helper. He's my healer. He is the one I acknowledge, not me. It's not my strength. It's not my power. It's not my wisdom. It is through the grace of Jesus Christ. The reason so many people stay stuck on the road on the side is because we think we're powerful. We think we're stronger than we actually are. And we don't acknowledge God only if we need Him. I'm in trouble, better go to church. I'm broke, better start tithing. Oh, I I need help, let me start praying. I, I know you acknowledge God. Lord, the reason I got up this morning was because of you. But too many of us are arrogant and prideful that we lean on our own understanding, our own power, our own ability, our own wisdom. If you've ever, ever uttered the words, I got this, you better repent. I can do something. What are we going to do about this? we got to fix. If you've ever uttered any of that garbage out of your mouth, repent. Because both you and I, we're nothing. We're nothing. Go ahead and, and create your vision board. Go ahead and and, and make your plans. Go ahead. Do all of that without acknowledging God. God's going to quickly remind you, you need me. In fact, Isaiah 40, 12 through 13 says this. Who else has held the oceans in his hands? Who has measured off the heavens with his finger? Just that phrase alone, who else has measured the ocean in his hands? Everyone hold your palms for a second. Just think about it. The ocean has over 332 million of cubic pounds of water. Just to put it in perspective, that's over 352 quintillion. Did you even know what a quintillion is? Quintillion gallons of water. God says, 
I hold that in my car. I put God to the test. Don't do it. This is one cup of water. One cup. I can't even hold a cup of water in my hands. I tried half a cup. Not even that. Do you know what where our ability is? Our best effort is a quarter teaspoon of water in our hands. And God says, I hold 352 gallons in my hands. What can you do? Quarter teaspoon? And God says, exactly. God doesn't say this verse to show how great he is. Nah. He shows us the scripture to show us how small he is. You believe me now that we're nothing? And our, be- our best effort is this? And yet you go through life thinking you're in control? You go through life thinking you are in power? You see why you need to acknowledge God? Because God says, my greatness is beyond measure. I can hold things you can only dream of holding. I can fix things you will never be able to fix. I can change things you will never change in your best wisdom. So stop thinking you're the one that's going to fix things. You're the one that's going to solve things. You're the one that's going to lead them to Christ. You're the one that's going to bring transformation. You're the one that's going to make it happen. You and I are nothing. That's why God says, acknowledge me. And I'll direct your path. So when Bartimaeus said, Lord, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped in his tracks and said, someone has acknowledged me and I'm on my way. Someone has called out to me and I'm on my way. When are you going to repent before God and say, Lord, I acknowledge you. I am nothing. And I need your strength. And I need your wisdom. Bartimaeus just acknowledged him. Jesus stopped. You want God to stop in his tracks? Acknowledge him. And he'll stop for you. But then it gets harder. And I keep preaching. Because I know my church. Okay, okay, I'm going to acknowledge you, Lord. I acknowledge you. I, I got a quarter teaspoon faith. But I need a cotillion. Lord, give me a cotillion. But Bartimaeus did something else that Jesus said, whoa, wait a minute. Look at verse 49 and verse 50. You want to get out of discouragement, you acknowledge God first. Second, when Jesus heard him, he stopped. He stopped. 
that tells them to come here. So they call divine and cheer up. They say, come on. He's calling you. Verse 50, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, came to Jesus. Let's pause. Listen to three, the three steps. He threw his coat, jumped up, went to Jesus. Threw his coat, jumped up, went to Jesus. He threw his coat, jumped up, went to Jesus. He could not have gone to Jesus had he not jumped up, but he could not have jumped up had he not taken off his coat. Say, well, Pastor, what's the point? Why did Bartimaeus throw his coat aside? Bartimaeus took off his coat and said, I don't need this anymore. And I'm going to get myself up and I'm going to Jesus. Why is it so significant? Because that coat, the Bible talks about, was not just an ordinary coat, but it was a coat given by the city, by the government. It was a government coat given to people that were beggars so that other people would know that if they had that coat on, they were legitimate, they were legit, they were beggars. So that you wouldn't have that fear. Am I giving money to someone that's faking it? Am I giving money to someone that's not sick? Is this a scam? When you saw that government coat, you knew that he qualified. And he had his coat. He had her. And me, when you had that coat on, you could beg anywhere you wanted to in the city. They couldn't kick you out. That's why you would see beggars in the synagogue. You would see beggars outside the city courtyard. You would see beggars outside on the road. The government could not intervene and say, no, you can't beg here. No, I got a code. I can do it. I have a right. That's my code. My code gives me the right to beg. Why did Bartimaeus throw that code aside? Because he was giving up his right. You want to get out of discouragement? Give up your rights. Some of you are stuck because you say, I have a right to be bitter and angry. You put your little coat on. I have a right to be angry and bitter. Do you see what they did to me? Do you see how they hurt me? Do you see how they used me? I have a right to be bitter. I have a right to be angry. I have a right for vengeance. God says, oh, you have a right. You go ahead. Exercise your right, but stay stuck. And if you put on that coat, you're not going to be able to get yourself up. You're just going to be held down in pity and being a victim. And I want to know how many pitiful and victims do I have at Ford Fellowship? How many people put on this coat that says I have a right to be bitter and angry? I have a right to be depressed. Everything is so hard on me. Everything's so difficult on me. I have a right. My favorite one, I have a right to be selfish. Because I always do everything for everyone else. No one ever thinks about me. And I have a right to think about myself. Pastor, I have a right to worry. I have a right to be anxious. Nothing's working out. Everything's against me. I have a right. And God says, you do have a right. You have a right to be depressed. You have a right to be angry and bitter. You have a right to be selfish. You have the right to be anxious and worried. But if you exercise that right, you'll never be able to get yourself up, Lord Jesus. The coat's too heavy. So Bartimaeus just took off that coat telling Jesus, I'm forfeiting my right and trusting you. 
What if you gave up your rights today and say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I'm not going to sit here and just rely on people anymore. I'm not going to sit here and just beg anymore. I'm not going to sit here feeling sorry for myself. I'm not going to sit here and just have this pitiful mindset. I have a right to be sad. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be discouraged and depressed. But Lord, I know that if I exercise my right and I put on that little heavy coat, I'm never going to be able to get up and go to you. So I'm going to just lay this aside. Notice the Bible says he threw aside. That word literally means to cast, to give up, to surrender. And he trusted in Jesus. I want to close with this this morning. Maybe you're living a life of discouragement. Because you haven't acknowledged God in that area of your life. Maybe you haven't been in a place where you're saying, God, you are in control of everything. But I'm relying on your own Maybe you're here and you're saying, the reason I'm stuck is because I just feel like I have the right to be angry. I have the right to be depressed and bitter and selfish and worried. And maybe that right that you're exercising is keeping you down. Keeping you like Bartimaeus from getting up and going to Jesus. I want to tell you today, whatever season of discouragement you're in, there's a God that will stop you. There's a God that will say, I will stop in my track when you are your own. When you are your most discouraged, I will stop you. But Bartimaeus had to shout out and call out to Jesus. Bartimaeus had to give up his little coat of pain to get himself up and go to Jesus. And Bartimaeus had the faith that Jesus could change everything. You see, if you're discouraged this morning, you have to acknowledge the character of God. If you're here and you're discouraged because you're in need, you acknowledge that the Lord is a provider. Amen. If you're discouraged because you're sick, you acknowledge that God is a healer. If you're discouraged because you find yourself in an impossible situation, you encourage yourself by declaring that the Lord is a God of miracles and wonders. If you're discouraged because you're single, you can't find anyone, be encouraged that God is a matchmaker, the best one there ever is. How do I know this? Adam was alone, couldn't find a girl. And even God made him one. God can do it all. You can only do a little quarter of a teaspoon. If you're discouraged because of a lost person in your life that doesn't know Jesus, you can acknowledge that the Lord is a Savior and if He can rescue the prodigal, He can rescue your family. If you're discouraged because of your sin, your past, your mistakes, you can acknowledge that God is merciful, loving, and graceful, and forgiving. 
Bartimaeus shouted because he knew Jesus could change the situation. Bartimaeus gave up his rights. Bartimaeus could have said, no, you're right, I'm blind, what was I thinking? But something in Bartimaeus stopped Jesus at his track because in spite of who Bartimaeus was, in spite of what he was going through and the condition of his ailment, Bartimaeus had the faith that Jesus could change it. And at church, I want to pray this morning that you have that faith of Bartimaeus that even though nothing has changed, I can get myself up. I can be cheerful because I serve a God that makes things right. And God is a good God. And I'm crying out to God knowing that he can change this in my life. Do not leave this church with a pitiful, discouraging attitude. But acknowledge the Lord. And lastly, verse 51 and 52. Jesus stops Bartimaeus and comes right in front of him. Bartimaeus is blind. He's trying to find Jesus. He's going by feel. He's going by what he hears. And then Jesus speaks to him. What do you want me to do? Can you imagine if Jesus would come to you right now and say, what do you want me to do for you? I wonder what your answer would be. And notice what Bartimaeus said, Rabbi, the blind man said, I want to. Bartimaeus had the faith not only to acknowledge Jesus when all the voices told him to stop. Bartimaeus not only had the faith to surrender his rights and go to Jesus, Bartimaeus had the faith to ask him. To ask even though everyone said it couldn't be done, even though everyone said, stop bothering Jesus with that, stop shouting, it's never going to change, it's never going to happen, there are thousands of people, you think he's going to change you, you think he's going to go to you, you think you're going to get out of the sidelines, you think you're going to be on this road, you'll never be there, Bartimaeus, just stay and shut your mouth, just stay where you're at, and stop asking, but Jesus heard it. What do you want me to do? Bartimaeus could have said, well, I, I can't even ask this because it's impossible. I can't even ask this because I don't deserve it. I can't even ask this because I know that, that I'm asking for too much. Bartimaeus told him plainly, Lord, I want to see. When was the last time you were that honest with God and you stopped the game and you said, Lord, I want this. I need this. Lord, I want a child. Lord, I want my spouse to be saved. Lord, I want a raise. Lord, I need to pay my bills. Lord, I need to be healed. I want to be healed. Lord, I want to be married. Lord, I want this. And I'm surrendering it to you. And Jesus said, Go. Your faith is healed. His eyes were open. 
And like David, he saw the goodness of God. Do you believe you're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living? Or are you going to sit here and say, oh, I don't know about me. I don't know about my life. I don't know. Some of you are going to leave here with your coats on and stay down and listen to the voices telling you you'll never change. You'll never make it. You'll never stop it. But the Bible says not only was Bartimaeus healed, but Bartimaeus was on the road walking with Jesus. Why didn't Mark throw that part in the Bible? Because I believe that Bartimaeus' biggest dream was not only to see, but to go from the side of the road to being on the road, which meant he was going places. And when he was walking on that road, he was walking in dreams he never thought would happen. He's walking in prayers he never thought he would answer. He's walking in desires he never thought would be met, but Jesus had it all. So if Jesus would ask you today, why are you discouraged? Because you have a quarter teaspoon of faith. But I hold everything. Can I read Psalm 43, 4 to 5 to the church in Psalm 10? For the discouraged, for the broken, for the hurting. David said, I will go to the altar of God. I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all riches. I will praise you with my heart, O God. My God, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I will praise him again. My Savior, my God. David said, I'm discouraged. But in verse 4, he said, I will go to the altar of God. There's something about going to the altar with your pain and your regrets and your dreams and your prayers and your desires and your burden. There's something about going to the altar of God when you are discouraged and down and hopeless. There's something about the altar that says, God, I will meet you here. Lord, you are calling me to your altar. And when you go to the altar of God, that is where lives begin to change. That is where miracles happen. God doesn't want you to just stay where you're at. He says, David, come to the altar. And surrender it to my hands. You can give it to me in my hands. Or you can keep it in your hands. What's it going to be? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I pray in Jesus' name that you come to this altar right now. Come on, if you're here today, you're saying, Pastor, I'm discouraged. Pastor, I have dreams, I have prayers, I have petitions. I have problems, I have issues. I need to come to the altar. As Frankie leads us in the song of worship, 
You come to this altar for lost people in your life. You come to this altar for dreams. You come to this altar if the voices have been telling you you're worthless, you're good for nothing. If the altar is where God speaks, but the world is where the devil speaks. And if you hear the voices telling you, shut up, stay down, stop asking God, it's never going to happen. You come to this altar like David did. And just tell the Lord what you want. Let's pray. Father in Jesus, as we worship, we pray. Because we are the Spirit. We pray because we have this coastline that make us bigger. We pray, Lord, because in our lives there's hardship and struggle. But we pray because we are shouting out to you, calling out to you to stop and lift us up. Jesus, my Father, take this prayer because you are a God of goodness and we declare we will see the goodness of God in the land of the Lord. But Father, I pray for every broken heart, every failed expectation, every unanswered prayer, every struggle, we surrender it to your hands. Because in our hands, it's just a quarter of a teaspoon, our best effort. But in your hands, the blind can see, the mountains move, healing takes place, addictions fall, the lost get found, revival takes place. Forgive us. In Jesus' name, we acknowledge you. You say that from your heart. You say, Lord, I acknowledge you. Forgive me for my own strength. And I put it in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God some grace today. Come on, you guys can have a seat. Come on, you guys can do better than that. I want you guys to live here, cheer up, and encouraged that God has a plan. And in God's hands, there's immeasurable amounts of power and miracle. But in our hands, we already know just a quarter of a teaspoon. And I pray that as you leave church this afternoon and you go on through life and you go on through this week, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to be hurt. You're going to worry. But whenever that happens, do yourself a favor. Just look at your father. And say, in my hands, a quarter of a teaspoon. But in your hands, see measure. And you surrender it to the Lord. Will you do that with me this week? You're going to look crazy because people, you're, someone's going to get you measured and go, you're going to be driving, you're going to go, bad news in your hands. Nothing. In God's hands, the impossible is possible. Come on, give God praise one more time. Amen.